Hey there, welcome to another edition of Close to the Vest. My name is Arthur Ettinger, and I am super excited about today's podcast. Today I have Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, a celebrity cardiologist, uh, world-renowned, uh, president of SRS Heart Center for Women's Prevention, Health and Wellness, former director of Women's Cardiovascular Prevention and Health and Wellness at Mount Sinai, the former director of Women and Heart Disease at Lenox Hill Hospital, the former director of the Center for Cardiac and Pulmonary Heart at Beth Israel Medical Center. Um, she is has been named a New York Times super doctor. She is on the list of best doctors uh, by New York Magazine. Um, she is the author of Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum's heart book, Every Woman's Guide to a Heart Healthy Life. She frequently lectures on heart health. Um, she is also, uh, I am proud to say, um, a friend. Dr. Suzanne Steinbaum, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Arthur. Thanks for having me. So I would love to just jump in and go into your background and tell me why you chose cardiology. Well, it's a story. Um, I have to say, I didn't know what I was going to do when I was in my training. And we were obligated to rotate throughout the hospital. I was in the emergency room. And there was this one night, there was a 53-year-old woman. She was wheeled into the ER. She was on a stretcher, incredibly uncomfortable. She was sweating, holding her chest, her stomach, really writhing in pain, vomiting. And she was wheeled in and evaluated by the doctors. And these were the doctors who were really teaching me. They were in charge. So I was learning from them and I really respected them. They evaluated this woman and put her in the corner of the emergency room where she proceeded to have a heart attack under the care of these people that I respected so much. You know, we talk about that Oprah's aha moment. That was sort mm -hmm. of like my aha moment. You know, I looked around like, did everyone see what just happened? And it seemed like no one else was nearly as phased as I was. And I said, that's it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into women and heart disease. I went to the chief of cardiology. I said, I want to do a women and heart disease fellowship. And he looked at me and he said, there's no such thing. Because at that time, there was no such thing. How and cool I, is that? Well, it was crazy. Then I said, I want to do a preventive cardiology fellowship because I thought if I could prevent heart disease in women, then they won't get sick. And I rationalized this was the way to go. And he got me um, a CGME approved. So that's like the national standard for education, preventive cardiology fellowships. It was one of the first in the country. That was a while ago, 20 years plus you're 20 years ago, nice. I think. And so that's, that's how my career began. So before, up until this, you were looking to go in a different direction? I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was in my training. I, I loved being in the emergency room. Um, people would come in with heart attacks. We were able to save them. I loved that. I kind of loved everything. I loved surgery. I, I thought, I, don't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew that I wanted to bring health into the world. Um, my father, who I spent tons of time with, was an oncologist. And I used to hang out in his office and make rounds with him. And 
I didn't want to go into oncology. And I think that I rebelled in some way. I, I used to say to him, I want to, I want to create life. I want to help people be well. Um, and I felt like that was the, the opposite kind of a, what he was doing. Wow. So I know, I know you frequently lecture about uh, women's health and heart health. Um, and um, I, you know, on your website, you, you list how heart disease is the number one cause of uh, death in all of women, more than cancer. And can you just can you speak to that and why why you think that's the case? So it's amazing because for years, you know, you would ask any woman, "What is your number one health threat?" She'd be like, "Breast cancer, hundred percent." I go right. for my every year, right? The, but the reality is one in three women die of heart disease. Heart disease is the number one killer of all women more than all cancers combined. The issue is, you know, why? It was in 1984, more women started dying of heart disease compared to men. And when you really looked back, like, why was this happening? 20 years prior to that year, all the research was done on men. And it caught up to us because if you don't research, you didn't get the answers and there were no answers. There was no treatment strategy. There was nothing specific for women's hearts. And that's what happened. And, and you also, you mentioned prevention and you focus on prevention. So can you elaborate what you, what you mean by that? Well, it comes down to the basics. You know, everyone wants that magic pill. And what we really need to look at is how I believe we can take care of ourselves through diet and exercise, sometimes medication, but how we do this. You know, we all have this idea, it's a one size fits all. What am I gonna eat? We all, are we going keto? Are we doing the cabbage right. stuff? You know, there's all these crazy things out there. And the reality is we can look at everyone individually. My program looks at genetics and metabolism, physiology, functional data, and anatomy. And I can create for an individual a program unique to them to reach ultimate health, both through how to eat, how to exercise, and what medications to take to really become heart healthy. And so if a new patient comes in, how, like, what does that look like to somebody who, let's say, wants to call, hasn't done this, hasn't seen a doctor? Um, can you kind of walk uh, us through the process? Sure. We do a deep dive on everything, you know, about life and past medical history and how you feel. And I think that one of the most important things is really understanding who you are and how you feel and being ruthlessly honest with those issues. Um, are you the person that's eating a gallon of ice cream every night, you know, in the closet so nobody knows? Like, I need to know. So we actually have that download and then right. go through a series of testing. And some of that testing is an echocardiogram, is an ultrasound of the heart. I do a cardiopulmonary exercise test looking at heart and lungs. I look at the health of an, the arteries using a special piece of equipment that contracts the arm so we can see how well the artery dilates. But it's all these tools that are really right here in my office. And we do some other testing, a lot of blood work, a lot of blood testing, and we get all this test results back and put together a real plan. 
based on, again, those five things, the metabolics, the functional, the anatomy, the genetics, and the physiologic data that really is personalized for the individual um, to understand how to eat for them, how to exercise for them, and medication and supplements also if needed. And we keep following it up every three months until we get to arterial health and overall well-being. It's really amazing, actually. I have a test that can look at stress, can actually look at inflammation due to stress. So it's it's kind of cool. We get to really figure out what the deal is and what's going on with you personally. Sure. Um, and I know you focus primarily on women. Do you also see uh, men? This is my favorite because... <laughs> Everyone says, oh my gosh, your practice is all women. I was like, not really, 40% are men. And that's because everyone brings their husbands, their boyfriends, their brothers, their uncles, their best friends. I mean, everyone's man comes into the office too. And it is not just focused on women, but what's super interesting, like I said earlier, is that the research wasn't done on women. So the testing that I do actually can diagnose heart disease in women where other tests are not as great as at it. And these are specific for women, but I'm gonna tell you something. The 40% of men that come in here go through the same program and get equally as healthy, um, addressing the same needs. And they're more than welcome to be in, to come. The thing is I have pink gowns here in this office and you know, they gotta wear the pink gowns. But other than that, uh, there's a, there's a lot of men in here. That's all good, you know. Um, real, what do they say? Real men wear pink. I was so. gonna say that. <laughs> so, um, you know, I know. I want to just pivot a little bit, and I know that you help um, a lot of individuals, you know, physically in dealing with the heart, and I think. Like, um, maybe pun intended, the heart can be affected emotionally. And this is a relationship and divorce podcast. So I know you yourself have been through um, a, a divorce and you have. Uh, Every time you say that word, I get chest pain. So I will tell you, <laughs> the divorce word definitely leads to chest pain. So go on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's an, an, an amazing segue because uh, that provides, you know, even people who have gone through it, I've been through it, it, it creates a lot of stress and anxiety. And yeah. so can you just briefly explain what it was like for you? You're a very, you know, strong woman. You're an independent woman, successful in your own right professionally. And now to have been thrust into uh, a situation where maybe you're not as in control um, on a, you know, versus your professional life, what it was like for you going through uh, the process? I think by far it was the worst experience I ever had in my existence. And I'm not kidding. When you say the word divorce, I literally physically can get chest pain. You know, the one amazing thing, and as much as I deal with the heart, there is such a huge connection between the mind and the heart, how we feel, how we think. Our emotions are directly connected 
to our hearts. So as I said, you know, I can check these inflammatory markers that are dealing with stress. I look back on that time, and I can't even say the word, I look back at that time in my life as the most surreal. Everything I had done up to now was so directed. I was disciplined in my education. I had to do an internship, a residency, a fellowship. I was on call every third to fourth night for 12 years of my existence. And all of a sudden, I'm in this divorce situation where nobody knew me, nobody knew how hard I worked, nobody cared all the patients I took care of and everything that I sacrificed or did. Um, I was just a number and I was actually really kind of penalized. Um, I felt like as a professional woman, I was looked at a certain way. I had a child. I felt that uh, I was actually, almost vilified for being mm-hmm. a working mom. It was a weird time. And to go through a divorce for multiple years, I think is one of the most destructive things that a human being could go through. It was awful for me, really awful. Mm-hmm. And so, and what, and I, you touched upon this briefly, you know, I, I tell clients all the time, you know, I, I can I can tell you potential outcomes based on my experience, and I'm pretty good at scripting what's going to happen. But at the end of the day, depending on the judge you get, depending on the time of day, depending on, you know, we're all human beings, and there's a lot of gray area in family law and doing what I do, and which is very much different from science and what you do. You see something on a screen, you see something uh, after a test, after your patient, and you know how to go into action. And that's much different than the divorce process. So as, as, some, as, a, as a medical professional, what was it like you know, dealing with that, you know, that uncertainty and um, lack of predictability? You know, it's interesting because in cardiology, um, people have this notion that things happen unpredictably. People die suddenly of a heart attack. You don't, you don't know. And that's not my experience. And that's not ever how I look at things. Um, I'm a fixer. I see a problem. I understand. I understand the heart. I get it. I can fix blood pressure. I can give blood thinners. I can always make things better. And I always have, if that doesn't work, I have two other things to do that'll make it better. I could not do one thing to make the situation better. I could not strategize to make anything better. In fact, every day was unpredictable. And to have that unpredictability in my life was so challenging, especially because unpredictable is not my thing. It's it's not how I exist. Um, I, I think professionally, and even as a mom, you know, I have calendars all over the house. Everything's structured. We need structure. I need structure because of the nature of my job. And so to wake up every day and not know 
what was going to happen, I think, was just very challenging for me. And by the way, I think challenging for anybody, because all of us have a rhythm to life. And all of us have, you know, we will drink the same cup of coffee from the same coffee shop. We kind of like to have the same breakfast. We all have a schedule. We all have a routine. And to be upended with something as unpredictable as a divorce and not knowing what's coming your way, I think is extraordinarily challenging. Sure. Um, so you lecture quite frequently. And, you know, pre-pandemic, you traveled a lot. Um, and what was that like as a mom, you know, now and then becoming a single mom, you know, uh, can you talk to me about like balancing being a very, you know, successful uh, professional and also balancing being, you know, a strong mom? And what was that like um, for you? You know, it's interesting because um, I don't think there's such a thing as balance. I think there's the schedule and there's the compromise and you have to make choices every day. Um, I made my schedule around my son rather than have him scheduled around me. So he was actually with his father on Mondays. I had him every single weekend. And so I traveled on Mondays. I gave lectures on Mondays and Tuesdays. You know, I made sure that when he was with me, I was home. And in the very rare events, and I could count on one hand how often it happened, I had my mom. And I always made sure that my son was in the center of the story, always. Um, clearly, I, I, was at work. I was at work every day, so I needed a babysitter. But I had a babysitter. I didn't have someone living with me. I gave breakfast. I took him to school. I, Arthur, it's so funny. When I think of the things that happened, there was one day that the babysitter didn't show up. And so sure. what did I do? I had to give a lecture. I brought him to lecture. There's my little child in front of, the, in the front row during grand rounds with all the doctors. I gave him whatever food was in the back of the room. And I said, please don't speak. I'll be done soon. Just watch mommy. Just watch mommy. And he was there like five, six years old, you know, at my lecture. Um, I love that. I, like that's, that happened to me today. My nanny <laughs> bailed. And so uh, he's playing Xbox uh, for an hour and a half. And you I, know what? doesn't make you a bad parent. This is what, this makes you an awesome parent. And he's going to remember that. I think that's me? great. I can tell you he was in the middle of, there was a television show I did um, for news and he was literally standing five feet in front of me with his little stuffed monkey, both of their eyes looking at me. Um, and it was for, I'll, I'll never forget, it was a CNN spot right after Michael Jackson died. It was a really big deal and I couldn't get a babysitter and there he was. So I made him a part of my life. I didn't feel it was a bad for him. I thought it was great for him to see his mom work. I loved that he could, that I could 
bring him with me and I knew we'd be okay and that he'd be great and he'd sit there and we've had a journey together. I got divorced when he was three or separated. I don't know. The divorce went on for like 9 million right. years. So I don't know how old he was when Not it was over. <laughs> about 9 million in my mind, but he was, he was little. So we, we were together alone really early, early on. And I realized there's no balance. There's no balance, but we're going to make it work. And I just made sure he was number one, always as best as I could. I love that. So you've told me a story and it's stuck out in my mind about when you were speaking in front of a big group and, and then you passed out. Um, and so can you share that story? Because we talk about how stress can impact a situation. And I think it's a real, to me, it's very motivating and it's really impactful your story. So do you mind sharing that with uh, our audience? No, this is one of my favorites. <laughs> so I am speaking to a group of women about the connection between the mind and the heart and how we feel and how we think affects our hearts. By the way, in the middle of the crazy divorce, Okay. Right. And I'm talking about women and heart disease and the importance of advocating for ourselves. And all of a sudden, I feel my heart pounding really, 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 really fast. And it's in my throat and I'm feeling dizzy. I didn't quite totally lose consciousness, thank goodness. But I was feeling myself pass out. And I sat down while I'm speaking, all of this is happening. And I sat down and I took a deep breath and I thought to myself, am I going to tell these women what's going on, which would be authentic and real and genuine, being that I'm talking about women and heart disease and it's happening to me, or do I just right. lie? <laughs> and I decided, you know what, I'm going to tell them the truth. And being that I'm a cardiologist, I kind of felt I knew what was happening. Uh, it's an irregular rhythm, rhythm called a supraventricular tachycardia. Very common in young women. It happens a lot of times from stress. And I kind of diagnosed myself, sort of. And I said, you know, I have this thing happening to me right now. I'm feeling a little dizzy and like I'm going to pass out. But I think it's- So you told- you literally I, told the audience this. I told them this is happening now. I think it's because I'm going through a horrible divorce. I'm not 100% sure, but it's really bad. And I'm just going to sit now and speak to you because I feel like I'm going to pass out. And everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. And I actually, there's some maneuvers you can do um, to actually stop this rhythm can rub your neck. It's a long story. But I started doing those while I was speaking. And I actually stopped my own <laughs> arrhythmia, felt better, recovered, and continued to speak. Um, Amazing. Now, well, now the stupid thing is, so I did get a diagnosis and decided not to do anything about it because I knew it was from stress and I knew it was from not sleeping. So when I tell the story now, I say to the audiences often, turns out the cure for this thing is to get a divorce. And, you know, of course, everyone laughs, but that was the cure to my problem because it went away <laughs> uh, right after we signed the papers. Go figure. I love that. I, that's, <laughs> wow. So in a way, I'm a doctor. Um, yeah. So you cured me. <laughs> So, and without sharing too many details, 
you know, you and I would have conversations and there were certain things that maybe you did to compromise, to move on, to, to relieve the stress. Okay. And okay. there are a lot of okay. issues that, that yeah. we could have fought over mm -hmm. and continue to litigate. Um, but there's a certain financial and emotional price tag to continue to do that. And, you know, I guess you've kind of answered the question, given that that stress went away, but what was it like for you? There are people who are going to listen to this who are knee deep in the shit and they're going through the divorce right now and describe what it was like for you once you came to terms with whatever the terms were, um, what it felt like for you to have that, you know, boulder lifted off your shoulder. You know, I have to tell you that when you do the job that I do, you have a different awareness of life. There's a different understanding of how precious life is. And it's been a gift for me my whole life because you realize how little importance certain things have. The weight of certain things becomes irrelevant when you understand how precious life is. And there was absolutely no way I was gonna spend any more time than I needed to about what I felt like was not my life. This was sure. a circumstance in my life, but I did not wanna exert that energy, that effort. I didn't wanna give away my time. And so for me, the things that seemed important, whether it's money, who's right, who's wrong, none of those things mattered to me. The mm. only thing that mattered was my son. And I would give away all the money in the world to end it, to make sure my son was okay, because that's all that matters. That is the only thing that matters. Everything else will come back. And the more you can find peace in your life and move on in your life and have happiness and joy, it is worth it to end it. The stuff doesn't matter. And that's oh, what so I true. Yeah, it's so true. And so many people uh, get caught up in the nonsense and you really you really hit what's what's most important in the entire you know process. Um, do you have do you have any regrets or anything that you would have done differently in the process? Yeah, I do actually. And I think there's a series of things. You know, from what I understand, when people go through a divorce, they actually look into what they're doing. <laughs> you know, they, right. they talk to an accountant, financially plan you know, make some, they get what's happening. That was not, I didn't research divorce. I just wanted yeah. out and I, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was not aware of what the system was like. I've never been in the system. I didn't, I didn't get it. And so I went in like a blindfolded, naive person thinking that there was a fair way of doing things that there was a logical way of conducting how things were run. And that wasn't the case. So what I would have done differently, 
is maybe been a little bit smarter, a little bit more mentally prepared, understood that there was this wasn't about fair, really about fair. This mm. wasn't about son. This was a lot about anger and and things that I didn't fully get. And I think that that would be the first thing. The second thing is I would never let anyone give me a heart arrhythmia again because I love that. That's never going to happen again. Um, I would have really learned to protect myself in a very different way. I will tell you that I think the divorce and the drama around it made me a better person, oddly enough. It made me be able to take risks in my career. Um, I wrote a book during that divorce. I was like, this is not going to end my life. I, and I started writing a book. The day we filed for divorce, I picked up a pen and literally started writing like, this is mine. I get to own this. And that's how my that. book was written. So I just would have prepared, Arthur. I would have known what I was getting into. And I don't know what I would have done differently except I think emotionally I would have been more grounded and I wasn't. So I know, and again, I'm not going to get into too much detail here, but so I wasn't your first lawyer and it's all it's very, it's a common question for people out there to, you know, what should I be looking for in a lawyer? I'm curious just to know, you know, what your, um, what you were looking for, in a lawyer at the time when you were initially embarked on the process versus when you decide to make a switch, you know, was there some sort of evolution for you? I, I would like to say I was very educated about the process, but as I just mentioned, right. I knew nothing. So I right. called a friend. <laughs> I said, who is your divorce right. lawyer? That's why I right. picked my one. Um, you know, I, I didn't, this wasn't a case that I was going after money or there was, it wasn't that complicated. Right. And what I learned was that cases, even that aren't that complicated could go on and on for no reason. And that was not my intention at all. And I worked with her for a really long time to resolve things. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And it was just, it was so strange. It was like mm. this train that was moving without me on it. And I was just holding right. on to your life. And so I think when you pick a lawyer, before you partner with a lawyer, because I think it's a partnership, you both sure. better be on this, you better have the same goals. And I think the day I met you, I was like, can you just end this for me? And you were like, a hundred percent. I was like, soon? And you're like, yes. And I, I don't even remember how quickly it ended, but it was going on for years. And I think within months we were done. Yeah. Um, because you understood where I was coming from. And and we, we partnered and we were on the same page. And I think that that's the most important thing. A lawyer needs to represent you and what matters to you. And I'm not sure how that first situation happened. I'm really not sure. Right. Well, um, we're, you're long past that and I don't need to, you know, drug up bad memories. I just, it's, it, it was, it's interesting to hear, you know, um, from 
being on the other side of the table, what, what goes through people's minds when they're making those decisions. Um, and so I have another question and I, you kind of touched upon it. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, both professionally and personally, having gone through the cheese grater, having gone through uh, the process, how, um, how you have transformed as a result? You know, like I said, um, I, I went in naive and I came out stronger. Um, I, I couldn't believe what was happening. And so the transformation for me was, I can survive anything if I survive this. And I, maybe before didn't stand up for myself, didn't speak out. You know, I, I'm in this very male dominated field and kind of got beaten up there a little bit uh, by, by the guys in cardiology. It was tough. You know, I'm, I'm, there's only 18% of cardiologists in this country are women. So it was really challenging from that front. And I didn't always stand up for myself. I, and I, I think that the one thing that came out of this was I became stronger and I learned to stand my ground and speak my mind and tell my truth and make sure I'm heard. And those things, which may be really easy for some, was really hard for me. But the sure. divorce made me realize you are the only one that's going to stand up for yourself. It's so interesting. I was asked recently why I decided to go into women and heart disease, like specifically, like what was it? And I really had this moment where I was like, gosh, you know, I knew what it felt like um, to sort of be pigeonholed, you know, mm-hmm. to, to really be sort of looked at and, and people decide about you that you didn't get to decide. And I felt like the women patients were being brought into the hospital. They weren't being looked at the same as the men. They were being less treated, less diagnosed. I felt like I had some understanding of what that felt like. And I think that's part of that journey for me. So now when I speak to women and the message I give to women is you advocate for yourself, not only for your health, not only in the healthcare world, but in your life. And I think that, again, going back to this mind-heart thing, going back to what I learned, how I became stronger, my message to women now is the same message, but I stand so firm in those shoes of delivering it from a place of experience and understanding. And um, I wrote in the book, I think bad things happened to me so I could ex- so I could really empathize and be part of all women's understanding and not just speak to the story or tell the story. I've lived the story. So if sure. I could do it, anyone could do it. I often say that having gone through it, it makes me a better partner, a better matrimonial lawyer, obviously, and a better dad. Do you feel that uh, having gone through the process, you're a better mom to <laughs> No, I think I was a great mom before <laughs> the process. Arthur, <laughs> absolutely not. 
I did not need to go through this. Um, no, I don't. You know, and and different than you. And we've had this conversation. You know, I'm not. I didn't get remarried. You know, right. I I'm not someone who was like, hey, I'm going to be a better partner. I was like, oh my god, right. <laughs> like please. You know, I, that was a lot for me. And so I'm getting better. You know, I'm easing into it. Um, but you know, it's been 11 years. We're not talking about yesterday. So for me, what did it do for me? It, again, it was a real self journey. Um, Mm -hmm. but as a, as a mother, a hundred percent didn't need this as a partner, hundred percent didn't need this. I think from the personal emotional place, it made me really scared and, uh, really protective. And that's the word. It became protective of my son and protective Mm -hmm. of myself and to really have the understanding before any of us give our hearts to anybody ever again. um, It's got to be right and it's got to be real and it's got to be genuine and it's got to be tested. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm moving into it slowly now. I love it. Um, Has the pandemic impacted um, you know, navigating with uh, your son's dad? Has it impacted at all negatively or positively? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, again, you got to remember what I do and I hate keep bringing it back into the story, but it's, it's a huge part of the story. You know, I'm on the front lines here. And so I didn't get to shut down and sort of quarantine the same way, but I did escape New York um, when we went into quarantine and I went to my mom and dad's house in New Jersey. I'm very close to my parents. They've been a huge part of my my son's life. They're a huge part of his life and they've been around us and super helpful and supportive this whole time. So we escaped to New Jersey because we needed to get out of the apartment and we needed to get out of New York and we went to the country and to the grass and they live on a lake. And we were there. And so we didn't see his dad for a couple of months. Mm. And there were complicating factors involved and other issues and and all of this stuff. But then I came back to work and I was exposed all the time. And I left my son with my parents and didn't want to expose him. So we had a lot of complicating issues. You know, I go back to um, the child always has to be in the middle of this story, no matter what, no matter when. My son is now 14 years old. Mm. This all happened when he was three. He doesn't remember Mm. us together. He doesn't really know life differently. He knows our life. And thank goodness he's 14, because if he was younger during this time, I think it would be so challenging to explain and really to talk to him about decisions and how we're going to do this and how are we going to protect him and protect me and make sure I'm not exposing the family and all of that. Um, Now, you know, it's okay. It's back to normal. I think that I will tell you I am so thankful again, he's 14 to have gone through this experience while he's older. But when he was younger to go through a divorce and really have him leave 
and go to his father, I think was by far the most difficult. I mean, I said the divorce was the worst thing. I don't think so. I think is when my child left me um, when he was a baby. And that, oh my goodness, I think it's like ripping your heart out. I don't know how to tell anyone to prepare for that. Because even when I think about it, um, and as an older child, and he's going to his dad's, you know, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's different. I can giggle now a little bit um, because yeah. it doesn't feel the same at all. And I sure. think for the people going through this with younger children, I can't, I can't even imagine how awful it is for for them. I, I can't. Yeah. To that point, what advice would you give for someone? who's now embarking on it? You've got to take care of yourself. You really have to incorporate self-care. I mean, I didn't, I got sick and I know better and I really got sick. And, you know, I'm minimizing. It's so ironic. It's so like, here you are taking care of people, focus on on health and heart health and and you you took yourself for granted. Yeah. I thought I could do everything, take care of everything. I always did. I wasn't, again, I wasn't prepared for the emotional slam of it. It was just too much. And I would say to everyone, the effects of stress on your body cannot be underestimated. It is a real thing. Listen, we've seen that from COVID. I'm seeing that in my practice every day right. from this time. Sure. And I promise you, if you don't go through this divorce, taking care of yourself, figuring out what you need, how to sleep, surround yourself with people that love you, that want to make you feel better, you know, get a therapist, do whatever you need to do, but take yeah. care of yourself and know what mm-hmm. your goals are and understand that compromise is not a bad thing because the end goal is happiness. And it's really that piece of self-love, you've got to find that and that'll get you through. I love it. So I have one last question. I ask every guest uh, at the end, I'm a big sneaker guy. I don't know if you know that about me, but um, what's your favorite sneaker? Oh my gosh. That's such an interesting question. (laughs) So I think you know about me. I love clothes and I love shoes. So I actually have a sneaker for like every occasion right now. Love it. Yeah. So I have my like Hoka for like my dance aerobics. Um, And I have, oh my gosh, I think I have them with me. Can I show them to you? Oh my gosh. By all means, you have to. Because they're perfect, aren't they? Oh, look at that. you know, but they have a heart, so I had to get I, them. That's all you. I love it. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm honored to to for you to share visually. That's amazing. <laughs> well, listen, I know you're super busy, and I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I really appreciate getting to know you, and uh, I look forward to the day when we can actually have that cocktail in person. Arthur, thanks for being a good friend. And you know, when I tell everyone uh, how to investigate what divorce lawyer they should go to, I say, don't even bother, call Arthur. So thanks for everything, my friend. 
Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.